Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. Another episode of the Behind the You podcast, and I am grateful and I am enthusiastic and I am fired up to be joined by David Feely. And they, you know what, dude? I don't want to even slight you. What is the ex- your exact title? Because I do not want to slight you in any way, shape, or form. I'm director of strength and conditioning for football. Talk to me about pump kicks and <laughs> how good is the, the, the breakfast fair on a Saturday in the UM weight room? Oh, it's super cool. So... What had happened was we wanted to get the guys in, in the weight room to kind of, you know, recover from the week and, and get them in on the weekend on Saturday just to hang out. And then uh, Todd Stroud had said, hey, listen, you should think about making some food for the guys, you know, that would be kind of cool. And, and they would get into it. And, you know, they, you know, you get to hang out with them a little bit. So it evolved into the guys come in after a rough week of workouts. They come in, they roll out, they get stretched. Then they end up going in and doing some arms, you know, buys and tries, which is fantastic. They're look, you know, they're They're all fighting for mirror space, trying to get some veins to pop out of their arms. And then they go over and Kyle Bellamy, our nutritionist is working like a maniac, cranking out protein pancakes and serving them in the weight room. We had tables set up and, you know, now we've got to do, uh, you know, we got to go about a little different way. We got to get right. to go boxes and, and get to hang out, but we get to have our guys, hang out and it's anywhere from 40 to 68 dudes every Saturday. They're in Miami. There's 5,000 things to do and they're coming in there. And anybody that knows anything about a culture and coach Diaz is all over this, loves it. He'll come in and work out. Like the coaches come in before COVID, the coaches would bring their kids in. It was great that families are made through tough times and at the dinner table. Those are the two places that it really happens. You mentioned tough times, David. We've talked about how just you had to, everyone had to help keep it together this past year from March, you know, when the kids were sent home, even during the season. Were you ever as challenged in your job, in your line of work, at at all the various schools you've been at in different positions? Were you ever more challenged than trying to lead a program the way you had to lead it with the entire team off campus? No, no, this takes the cake. If something beats this, I'm dying to see it because this was it. This was extremely tough. It was very challenging, you know, but as, as the greater the challenge, the greater you got to rise up. Coach Diaz should write a book on how the entire year, how he led us through everything and his expectations and, and the back and forth conversations that we had over the phone and over Zoom. And, and then when, you, you know, the guys come back in the summertime, we kept tabs on the guys. We would always have phone calls like, hey, how things are going? And a lot of it was personal. Because everybody's going through isolation. They've never gone through anything like this before. Nobody really has. This took it to a whole new level. You know, if you talk about pandemics and, and recent human history and how it was documented, everybody hunkered down. Nobody's been through this at all. So, you know, you talk about the mental health. You talk about, all right, where are these guys working out? Can they work out? What are they doing? What's their family like? Are they with their family? Are they with any friends? 
Are they isolated with their family? We didn't know it was a different case every single time. So it was, you had to connect with them on a personal level because I think for the first time since they were invented, sports really didn't matter because they weren't going on. And it was all about people. And sports were eventually going to happen, but you had to be there for your players in more ways than just the X's and O's than ever before. My hat is completely off to Coach Diaz in the way his approach was implemented and his vision was implemented. And then when we got back and started working out, to our pleasant surprise, our guys worked really hard over break. And you could tell in the first week. And look, we had no idea what was coming at us. We started looking at research of the NFL. And why we did that was we looked at when the lockout occurred. Okay, these guys, who knows how they trained when they were away, when they came back, how often or what was the main cause of injury or what were the main injuries? And it was the largest amount of uh, Achilles tendon problems. They had a ton of soft tissue injuries. So with our medical team, with uh, Jeff Ruiz and Vinny Scavo, we were crunching away on the phone for days on, hey, all right, how long have they been out? Have they been, you think they've been working out? How many, you know, if they say they've been working out, is it really as much as they said? What's the best course of action moving forward? How do we assess them when we get back? And then it just dawned on us. Treat them like they've never trained in a program ever. And that's where you start. And when they get back, if they've done more, then we'll know after the first week. And then we can proceed as our eyes tell us. It was the eye of the coach. As soon as we got the original assessments done, on jumping them and, and, and whatnot. It was a collective deal. Now this was really cool. And once we figured out what they could do and we watched them run, we said, Oh man, these guys worked. Holy Toledo. We could keep going. All right. So we can increase our volume and increase our intensity a little bit more than planned because you can't just throw a million things at these kids. They're not invincible. And, but the, the guys that really put this thing together, you know, you have your D'Eric King, you have your Mike Harley, and you have a Corey Gaynor who would work the offensive line out extra. And he was like the keystone of the whole thing, the whole summer. He was the guy. And nobody knew it. And, you know, you, you, you go on defense. We had Quincy. We had Amari Carter. We had Jalen Phillips. And they would do a lot of extra work. And they would try to get guys to do extra work. And it was so neat to see that they were so goal-driven. Like, no, I mean, we're, we're going to play. We need to be ready to play. It was a treat and an honor to watch the whole thing evolve. And I'll tell you, I, I, I wouldn't trade the whole thing for the world. It was one of the best experiences as a coach I may ever have. You mentioned Manny, and I think we've talked about this, and you're not the only one I think that has mentioned this in my conversations with other people on the staff, just how in tune he was how it would be or could be affecting anyone and everyone and being so sensitive to that at a time when people needed that. And for, from a typical standpoint of a head coach, you're working, grinding, trying to make your team better. But in this standpoint, it was more so, as you said, making sure his people were good. Yeah, the, the number one word that he would use, he would focus on, and it was the home run word, was connection. That was it. And what he, he knew it. And when he said they've got to be connected, it was like, oh, man, yeah, 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they got to be connected. That's great. Everybody's looking for this perfect scenario or this perfect story. You know, connection is the key, the key to the whole thing. And he knew it. And look, I, I mean, I, I had the honor of coach, you know, Shaq Quarterman and a bunch of those guys. And I mean, you, I mean, it's well documented how they feel about him. And that's just a super prime example of why, because he understands people. He understands how to care for people. He understands how to motivate people, just what they're going through, how to assess it, and then what to do with it. And he played it perfectly. And I don't mean play it like in a bad way, but golly, connection. That was it. He knew it right off the bat and everybody followed suit. It was as good a leadership as you could ever hope to follow. You've been around this sport a lot. So have I, right? Sometimes football coaches become literally, that's all they know, right? Is they're just a coach. I hold up in a room, you know, doing football. And the thing I say about Manny is he's a real person before he's a football coach. Yes, he can coach football, but he's a human being. If you speak to him, talk to him through the pandemic, et cetera, he can, he's worldly. He's, he's not just pigeonholed into being one thing. And I think that served him, his players, all of you guys trying to navigate that course. I completely agree. And actually, um, I have my notes in front of me right now from my interview with him. Do you really? Uh, yeah, I do. You prepared for this. Uh, well, listen, that, you know, I, I, I've got a few notebooks with, with some really good information. I think it's really good information over the years. And it was, you know, one of our talking points, you know, and one of, you know, my philosophies in, in coaching and whatnot. And I just shared, I said, coach, listen, we can run and, you know, you can lift kids all you want, but it, it, unless you make a better person, you're never going to make a better player. They've got to learn how leadership. They've got to learn how to be a great teammate. They need to learn how to love each other in the locker room. They need to learn X, Y, and Z, but you make a better person, you make a better player. And we went off on a tangent on that. And that's where I really thought he and I had connected pretty well in that interview. We're going to talk about that interview in a second, just your, your whole path to the University of Miami. But at the end of the day, I'm enamored by sort of people's beliefs and philosophies and then also their journey, right? So how their journey kind of gets them to where they are today and then the things that they believe in, how, how they are shaped. So for you, for you, David Feely, um, you know, when people look at football, right, are you, a, you know, Brett Lashley likes to play fast, tempo. You, you could be a defensive guy like Manny Diaz behind the line of scrimmage. You could be a Paul Johnson and triple option, whatever it is, right? In football, you can quantify sort of systems. How would you quantify your philosophy in the weight room? What do you believe in relative to strength training for football players' peak performance? Josh, that's a loaded question. That's pretty good. I know. Oh. You can differentiate football, right? You can look at schemes and, and systems, et cetera. So from your world and your vantage point, this isn't talked about a lot. Are there different systems? Obviously, there's different philosophies. So what is it that you truly believe in that you want to have the Miami Hurricane football team look like? Uh, first of all, we're a free weight operation. We Olympic lift here. We're squatters, we're cleaners, we're benchers. We snatch, we do deadlifts, we do RDLs. I've been spoiled rotten in my career with mentors. Uh, I've been taught by ar arguably the best mentors in the entire business. And a lot of them are, they're, they're, they're getting up there in age. They really are. I fell into a, a fantastic circle and they had all went to Russia, Bulgaria and the Ukraine in the 80s and 90s. And they laid the groundwork for everything that we do today. I'm so grateful that I'm able to learn from them. And I mean, you know, it's the, it's the Johnny Parker, it's Al Miller, it's Al Vermeil, it's Rob Panarillo, 
It's Don Chu. And those names are big time Mount Rushmore names. So they're, they're Mount Rushmore guys. They're NFL guys. Like give me a, a quick, quick overview of who they are, where they're from, and then how your path crossed. Every one of them are in some sort of a hall of fame in the industry. Every single one of them. And it all started. And I had worked for my old boss, John Greco, who's been a wonderful mentor my entire life in this business that I visited him at the Oakland Raiders and he had worked for Al Miller. And that was the first I ever heard of him. And then I got to meet him. I didn't really talk to him all that much. And then I got a random email. I opened it up at 4.37 in the morning in June of 2013. And it was strength coach Johnny Parker, who was Bill Parcells's right-hand man. That was his strength coach for years, for years, from the second year of the Giants till the last day at the Patriots. And he offered his services. And this is just a small world. And this is why you need to treat people like gold. And if your function in their life is to make them better, then you need to do that. And I'm very blessed because I had a young boy named John Godfrey. He was a walk-on at Ball State. His father played for Coach Parker at the Giants. And they were just talking at the dinner table. Yeah, Coach Billy, we do snatches, this, this, and that. So then Mr. Chris Godfrey, who played at the Giants, talked to Johnny Parker, told the story. Coach Parker writes me an email. And he said, hey, I've done it right and done it wrong for over 35 years. If I could ever be a sounding board for you, please let me know. I would love to help you. Respectfully, Johnny Parker. I almost fell out of my chair. There was nobody bigger in the 80s and 90s than that guy. Nobody. He was the Bill Belichick of strength and conditioning. And I called these people and I learned from them. They taught me the Russian undulation model on how to wave relative intensity on how much guys are actually lifting, how often they're lifting it, how much volume is accumulated throughout a workout, throughout a week, throughout a month, how to properly develop an, an athlete. What's a lot? What's a little? What's too much? What will get them hurt? What did they do in Olympic training overseas? What was too much for those people? What qualities are you trying to get out of the Olympic lifts or strength lifts to make your football player functional and strong to keep them safe? Those were things that I still lean on them for because you have to constantly learn in this business. But spoiled rotten is a term you could use. I've been blessed to meet and to learn from them. So when we're in the weight room and they're doing anything, it could be a barbell curl. It could be a power clean. They need to have the depths of their soul tested as to how tough they are, as to how good of a teammate they're going to be to help push their teammates through a situation like that. And they've got to become incredibly, brutally strong. And we've got to do it with great discipline. And that's it. Now, you also said the discipline, I believe I've just heard you right, the discipline to do it right. And I know from our conversations and doing a little research with this, that you had a, a, an ex-Marine friend that said something to you that there's not, it's not just getting stronger, but it's how you get stronger. And it's not just about the strength and the weight, but it's about accountability, leadership, discipline, all of those things that are attached to just being in the weight room and becoming a better athlete. So how do you intertwine those two things in the weight room and also please share with us what the ex-marine said to you and how you use that to coach in your in your domain on a daily basis so that you are not only making them stronger athletes you are making them more mentally tough better disciplined more accountable great leaders uh it was eric capitolic that i have been lucky enough to meet 
and he's the owner of a of something called the program. It's like a leadership program. Okay. And it could be for sports. It could be for, you know, the business world or, or, or whatnot. They, they basically got, they've got two parts to a mission is accomplish the mission and two take care of everybody the best you can on the way. Be a great teammate. That's really it. Be the best teammate you can take care of your soldiers. And so no matter what, what goes on in the weight room, we've got to get the mission accomplished. It's got to happen. It has to happen. And trying is not going to get anybody anywhere except frustrated and somewhere you don't want to be. You've got to have a goal and you've got to make it happen. There's always a way. You could do anything you want. If they can land on the moon, you could do anything. There's always a way to get the mission done. And you've got to find that way. And you can't just get it. you got to crash right through it. And then number two is if you're going to be a great teammate, how are you going to do that? What does that actually mean? That means spotting each other the right way. It could be, hey, you didn't do this right or that's not right. Hey, read the plan on your sheet. It's communication. That's what it really comes down to. And then are you holding each other accountable? And those are things that we look for. And there are some times that I won't even say a word. I'll say, all right, this is what we got, but, 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 but gone, we're out. Not a whole lot of instruction. And sometimes you just sit back and watch. How do they interact with each other? Are they reading their plan like they should, which is their workout sheet? Are they talking about X, Y, and Z? When something doesn't go right, how do they react to each other? And then you've got to train them. You've got to train players. Listen, he's just telling you it's not right. It's not personal. Because some, you know, guys will get frustrated. Anybody would. They want to, you know, they don't want to be told they're doing something wrong. That's anywhere, not even sports. But what they want to know is, or what they need to know is, okay, my teammate is telling me something's not right. How do we make it right? And thank God he told me it's not right. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't care. And that's it. And there's also, if I believe, and that maybe I'm wrong, but I think I'm right because you have told me this, right? You, you try and create some pressure-packed situations in the weight room that obviously that is not going to show itself in, on the football field in terms of the duplicity of it, right? Whatever happens in the weight room, per se, it's not going to be tackling a, a football player. But there are things you do in the weight room that I'd like you to share that you try to create pressure points for them where they have to perform and it has to be done right so that they get used to the chaos of what is happening on game day. Yeah, so uh, there's a quote on my whiteboard that I look at every day, and it says, if we cannot perfect being in a controlled environment, then we will never be able to function in an uncontrolled environment. So what we'll do is we will have the players, and they'll be on the shot clock now. They'll be, you know, they have to get a leadership opportunity done in a certain amount of time, is they have to lead an exercise. It could be, all right, we're going to do, you know, shoulder taps, you know, you'd be in a, in a, in a push-up position and you'd have to touch your right hand to your left shoulder and then your left hand to your right shoulder. Right. And it would just be this sequence. We've got shoulder taps. When I say everybody ready, we're up in the upright position, push-up position. When I say, right, move your right hand up to your left shoulder, touch it. When I say left, move your left hand up, touch your right shoulder. We've got 10 of them, everybody ready. And they have to respond with ready. And it's got to go in that order because people really remember things in threes. You can get the four, eh, they might remember it. Five, so the, the human brain, it's just not going to pick it all up. Threes is where it's at, okay? And that's research. So 
you know, we just tell them what's the, what's the cover of the book. They just name the exercise. They give three cues or uh, of the exercise or three steps into how they're going to execute it. And they get everybody up on the same page. And now the kicker is while they're leading it, they've got to make sure everybody's doing it at the same pace that they are. So you'll find out who's got confidence, who can speak to a group and have the self-confidence that they're not, oh, what's everybody thinking? This, this, and that. Because we tell them, if you can't do this here in front of 29 guys that want the same thing that you want, which is to be a winner here at Miami, not to play football, that's, that's nonsense. You want to win. If you can't do it here in a controlled environment, how are you going to do it in front of 80,000 people, especially at an away game when they tell you you stink? You won't be able to function. And if you cannot communicate with each other, by the time you get to camp in August, we haven't done our job. We have not prepared you. So those are one of the activities uh, that we will do. Uh, we do have uh, some plate pushing drills that we will do. And, you know, we'll have a wall sit. So, <laughs> but is that is that punishment or is that part of is that part of the routine to extract leadership? No, it's part of the routine. We call it our Gogi project, which is old Spartan leadership and warrior training. Really, that's what it is. If you ever watch the movie Three Hundred? They take the child away at like nine or eleven years old. I can't remember what it is, and they take him away from his mom, and he comes back later in the movie, and he's a he's a real deal warrior, right? He goes to warrior school. That's what they would do. Now, obviously, we're not you know in ancient Sparta, and we don't have shields and all that, but. So if you and I were partners, right, and, you know, I would, I would have a plate that I would have to push on the field and, you know, I'd be on the sideline in, in the indoor and you'd be up against the wall and you would have to do like a wall sit and I'd have to push the plate down to a hash and back, right? And I'd have to do it in X amount of time or you can't get off the wall. Or if you slip off the wall, then the whole drill stops and we have to do it again. If I don't go through the line and I bring the plate back, okay. That doesn't count because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. You didn't do your job. Your job was to push the plate from the sideline to the hash and back. You didn't go all the way through the hash. So now we go all over again. It's only two things, two ways to do things the right way. And again, and they've got to learn that and simple little things. It's a want to, that's all it is. It takes no talent to do that kind of a drill. But now when you get 30 people involved in this drill, not just, you know, you know, the Josh and Dave show here. That's not, that's not what it's going to be. You got 30 people doing the same drill. And if one person messes it up, everybody goes again. And when that happens, then you find out who are your leaders? Who are your guys that are so compelled to not put up with somebody not doing their drill right? Because it's a want to. It's got nothing to do with talent. If guys rely on their talent anywhere, they're done. They'll get passed by. There's always somebody out there working harder. Always. You've got to beat that guy. You must become that guy. That's where you find out who your leaders are. And then you'll find out when it's 105 degrees and we're running 110s in the summer on Green Tree practice field. You'll find out everything that you're made of right then and there. I guarantee it. Everyone talks about 110. So what is the, the spirit of that activity that tests and showcases what you and maybe coach Diaz and the staff are seeking. You know, it's kind of funny because one tens really, I mean, that, 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 that's a hundred meters in track, right? And you take the hundred meter and that's where people get their, get their times, 
you know, from what, what's an appropriate time for a hundred meter. And that's how, you know, you're fast, right? Those are the fastest people in the world. So it kind of came off of that originally and 110 yards is the absolute furthest any athlete can ever travel in a linear fashion on the football field. That's pretty much why that's implemented. But, you know, the one tens and I had the, the pleasure of meeting coach uh, Jimmy Johnson He's a fireball, man. I'll tell you what, I was juiced up 30 <laughs> seconds into, into hanging out with that dude. Dave, you got to run those, you got to run those one tens, man. And don't you let up on it. You get, to, you put their feet to the fire. You get them going all summer long. Like, oh, oh my gosh. Can I adopt you as my <laughs> something like, please. Right. And before our first summer together here, coach Diaz had said the players that were going into the hall of fame for Miami uh, from years ago, the number one thing they spoke about was running one tens in the summer and how hard they were pushed by the strength coach and all of my career, wherever I've been, that's kind of been one of my personal staples wherever. And anybody can do anything once anybody can do anything twice, but when you start getting into the double digits of doing anything strenuous, you're really going to find out what a person's made of. The, the lifting is fun. You know, that's fun. It's the running. It's when your lungs are on fire, when you're going to find everything out about every single person there. And it's got to be hard. And when it's done right over a course of time, it instills a confidence that you can't put into words into a football team. And those 110s mean a whole lot more than just saying we run them. Our guys take a lot of pride in running them and how they run them and not bending over when they're done running it, but standing up and not their hands on their head either. You don't need to be doing that. Start holding your hands on your head and you start bending over. No, that's, that's bad body language. Because if you were in a game and somebody saw you doing that, they'd be like, hey, we're getting them. We're getting them. We're getting close. No, no, that ain't happening here. We're not doing that. And our guys take a tremendous amount of pride in operating that way. And it's a privilege to be around it. Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More. Made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. I think the people inside the game have known it for a while. I think it's come to light more in recent years why your position is so important to the success of a football team because of how much time you spend with their players, but beyond the time, what you're doing with that time. And so I want to I take us back to you talk to Coach Diaz. What did you have to say to him, or what does he say to you to go? we're aligned. We believe in the same things. Um, he specifically spoke to me about his experiences in strength and conditioning. Oh, I'm going to get it right here. I hear the paper um, rustling. Yeah. Oh, no, it's right there. Uh, and he, he's a, he's a lifter himself. So he understands the value of hard weight training and discipline. So we, we, we hit it, you know, right off the bat with that. I'd spoken to him about my background, how I grew up through high school, through the mentors that I had, I had mentioned. I mean, my strength coach in high school was Donovan Brown. 
Donovan Brown's one of the toughest people I have ever met on this earth. And I thank God every day that I met him. He changed my life at a young age. He did. He taught me things that I, I, I could write down for a month and I wouldn't be done. Yet. Now he changed your life because you were, you know, a lot of times people, you know, in our sport, in this world that we live in, right? You get kids that are going down the wrong path. Someone intercedes, kind of drags them back, puts them on the right path. And boom, there's a great story to be told. Now for you, he changed your life just because what he inspired you. He motivated you. He helped you. Like where were you that he kind of came in and gets you to say what you just said? He was the first person to make me decide whether or not I really wanted to play football in high school. That's how hard he worked me. And that's a point where everybody needs to get to if they think they're going to do something that they love. They got to work so hard at it and they've got to fail at it. Because if you really love to do something and you fail at it, you're going to get up and you're going to find a way to get it done. He was the first person to push me ever. And I'll never forget it. And after the continuous push and push and push, he gave me a confidence that I could never thank him enough for. And it just, it wired me to do this. It's, he, it's, he is the reason I'm doing this is because of that impact that he made on me. Okay. So that part makes sense. And let's circle back to your conversation just because you, you threw that in there. So I had to hop in and ask, yeah. but now let's get Sorry. back to you and Mandy, right? Because, because at the end of the day, it's collaborative, right? You and the head coach, it's a collaboration. You have to think, feel, believe, the same things or it can't be right. So obviously you and Manny connected and you've used the word connecting when talking about how, and I've heard Manny use the word connectivity before. So I know how much he values that on his staff with his team, et cetera. But you guys have to believe the same things for you to be the guy that he wants leading his program the way you've led it. So where, when, and how did you know, what did you say? What did he think? Oh gosh. You know, we had talked about, you know, the value of accountability the value of discipline and, you know, not, not making those two things personal. Don't get that on a personal level. It's not personal. You know, I think a, a key thing was, you know, a kid doesn't wake up and say, Hey, how do I, how do I screw over the strength coach today? It's not that if a person will act out, you know, they probably have something else going on in their lives. So you have to figure out what that is while still getting your bottom line done. You know, having, having a great personal relationship with the players is important they need to lift big time weights and they need to do it the way that we want it done. And that's it. And after we talked about those few points, it was, it was pretty good. I was like, wow, this, this is uh, once you know, you have a head coach that wants to keep people accountable. Once you know that he wants discipline and, and we, we had spoken really, I think I, what really kind of sealed the deal was you know, like, hey, coach, you know, I know, you know, maybe, you know, late in the season or something one time, you know, if I got to come up to you with a, you know, with a discipline issue, he goes, yeah, what, 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 what is the time of year matter? It, it is what it is. It's got to get fixed. It doesn't matter. You know, you never know with football coaches, you know, they're so crazy in the grind and there's recruiting and there's the season and this and that. And then, you know, you may have an issue or a kid may need something or, you know, whatever. Like, Ooh, I don't know. The boss is pretty busy. No, I, I, I want to know about it. I want to get it fixed. It's, you know, there's nothing more important than our players. So I'm, we're, we're going to get it fixed. I'm just telling you how it's going to be. So let's talk about, you know, you and Manny connecting, et cetera, in terms of professionally, right? So Manny gets the job at Temple. You're the strength coach at Temple. I know two parts to the story. I don't know what, what came first and what came second. 
Manny told me that obviously you, you speak, you interview, etc., you figure it out. But there's also, and, and to me, this is probably as big a compliment as you can get in your role and pretty much anyone can get, right? If somebody refers you to them, that means they trust you. And can you talk about the FaceTime that Manny Diaz got from some of his players that was a big time referral for you? And then line this all up for me so that, we, so that everyone knows a little bit better than I just poorly uh, laid out there you and Manny and it all kind of making sense. And then we'll get to the Miami part of the story, but talk to me about, tell everyone about the player on the team who FaceTimes. And I think it's more than one. There's a group of players that FaceTime coach Diaz, and then your, your, your sort of very long interview conversation, et cetera, and how that all aligns. The FaceTime happened first. There it is. Okay. There we go. Thank you. It was spearheaded by Anthony Russo and we'll see him at hard rock stadium this year. He, uh, he was, he was our quarterback there at the time. And he got Karamo Diubate, he got Danny Archibong, Matthew Hennessy, and Chappelle Russell. Chappelle actually, he grew up in the town next to where I grew up in New Jersey. And he's actually on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And some of my coaches growing up were his coaches. And I love those kids. They were extremely hard workers. They were tough. They loved to work. And uh, they vouched for me. And I'll never forget that as long as I live and to any day that you might think you're having a bad day, then, you know, you, you go through your day to day, but at the end of the day, if you're a good servant to people and you believe in people and invest in that, that's what you will, you know, I mean, that's the extreme. I, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't know how to say it other than I'm grateful and I'm blessed. And I, I really can't believe that happened. And, you know, I'm. You're, you're at a lot. You're at a loss for words right now. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, th these guys said, you know, coach, we need, you know, we, we want you here and, and, and that's it. And, and that's it. They told Coach Diaz that he had to keep you. That's what they said, apparently. Yep. And then you guys get on the phone and have this 52-minute conversation, which I think we've probably touched on a little bit, right? Some of the stuff we've touched on previously comes up in that conversation. Yes, sir. Then Miami comes open like 17 days later, and, and he calls you, and, and you're thinking, what? Yeah, that was, that was something. That was really something. That was, you were uh, thinking that he was not calling to tell you, come along, David. That's not what you How were thinking, correct? How did you correct? get that story? Where, oh, you are a detective. I'll tell you what. You're good. Honestly, dude, either you told me or he told me, or both of you have told me. The way it was explained to me, you thought it was a breakup. Yeah, I, I kind of thought it was. <laughs> He's like, hey, Dave, you know, hey, how are you? And I'm like, you know, okay, good, this and that. Um, you know, he starts talking, and, and I think I'm pretty sure I interrupted him. And I was like, hey, coach, you know what? Listen, I wish you the best. This would, <laughs> I, I really wish I could have worked with you, worked for you. It would have been awesome, you know, but I know you're going back home and this and that. And listen, I just want to wish you all the best because, you know, who wants a long breakup conversation? It's not you. It's me. It's the, And that's what he said. He goes, listen, it's not a breakup. Like, hey, it's not you. It's me. It's this and that. He's like, listen, I think you would fit in really well with what, you're, what we're trying to get done down in Miami. I'd like you to come with me. Did you hear that noise? That's exactly what happened on the phone. I couldn't I say word. I didn't know what to say. Yeah, that was it. That was that was my initial response. I couldn't. You know, and he's like, hey, just like, you know, take a day or two to think about it and love to have you down here. And, and that's it. How many minutes, hours or days did it take? Uh, called him back the next day and it was over. So that was it. And away we go. Away we go. It's pretty amazing, right? Pretty amazing how all this stuff comes together. Yeah, it was really it was really super cool. You know, and I was uh, and, and my daughter was born down here. She was born in Pembroke Pines Hospital. So it was a it was a little bit of a returning to familiar territory for us. So it was really, really cool. So let's talk about some of that. 
Donovan Brown High School pushes you to football. You, you play football for Division three school at, at Plymouth State. So some guys that we've talked to on this, you know, they have aspirations of playing in the NFL. I imagine, considering you told me off air, the most you weighed as an offensive lineman was 245, that probably that wasn't on your mind. So what was on your mind when you were done with college? No, no, sir. Uh, when I got done, I thought I would pick up where Donovan Brown would leave off. I would go be a high school phys ed teacher and I would be the strength coach for the football team and probably coach offensive line. And that's where I would spend my career. I would make my career of that. And when I was at Brick Township High School, I was teaching. I had helped out with the football team in the weight room. And my head, my old head uh, high school coach, he was still coaching, Coach Warren Wolf. He was the winningest coach in New Jersey history. And he had just passed away at 93 years old. Remarkable man, tough as nails. 145 pounds soaking wet old man. You were scared to death of him. <laughs> Everybody was, even Coach Brown, which was comical. But I had worked with, it was, it was my first paying strength job was with, uh, for Coach Billy Brunner, who was the tr women's track and field throwers coach. He had played for Coach Wolf back in the day. It was, it, you know, it was one of those things you grew up in the town and you probably played football and you become a teacher and a coach. And, and he said, listen, I, I, I'd love for you to be our strength coach. I can, I can pay you and this and that. And so that's at the same school? Yes, sir. That, it was uh, the, the women's throwers. That was my first paying job. And after that, I said, I think I need to do this. And away I went. After that, I moved out and got a GA job and the rest is history. A GA job at UNLV, correct? Yes, sir. Is that where the education begins? For the field? Yeah, it, it, it really is. My first uh, real boss that I you know worked for and checked for was John Greco at UNLV. He was the head strength coach there. And his, his last job was uh, the head strength coach of the Oakland Raiders. He was as good as it gets, really was. Absolute people person, uh, knew how to dissect a program, was super keen on culture, whether it's with a, within the football staff or in the locker room. I've never seen anybody like it. And he taught me some invaluable lessons. So when you're a GA for a strength program, are you going to classes to get like a, a master's degree, like how a lot of people get GAs when they're coaches? Or are you actually studying the field? Where are you? Are you just learning by trade? Or is, is there is sort of a degree that goes along with embarking on this career? Um, well, when I was an undergrad, I went for phys ed. And your first two years of phys ed, are just the same as exercise science and whatnot. And what happens is, is you break off and you go to your pedagogical courses going into teaching or you go in the lab and exercise science. I was like, listen, I'm not a lab guy. I've got to be on my feet, as you could probably guess. So once I went to go get my master's, I said, you know what? I'm going to get my master's in educational administration because unless you're going to go into exercise science, the only thing you can really do with that is work in a lab. You could be a strength and conditioning coach with that, but there are other certifications you can get to certify you in it anyway. So I said, you know what? If I can get the certifications and then I can have a backup plan or maybe even become an administrator at a university one day through this, I might as well do that. And that's what I did. The guys you mentioned before, those like guys, those four or five guys in the Mount Rushmore, Parker, Greco, a couple other guys, their beliefs on, on pure brute strength training, Olympic, all that stuff. So working under him as a GA at UNLV, is that where you're introduced to it for the first time? That's where I'm introduced to general strength and conditioning. And yes, that brute strength, without a doubt, it was, it was the best way to enter this business. I had a few teams that I could be the head strength coach of. I had track and field for a year. I had softball for a year. I had baseball as a graduate assistant, which 
is really hard to do. You know, usually they have a full-time assistant and uh, I'll never forget it, Buddy Goldsmith. He, he was very patient with me, had open arms. He was, he, he treated me fantastic. And those teams are where I really learned how to manage a team, how to deal with personalities, how to run my own show, how to fail. What could you do better? What could improve? How can you implement better programming? How do you organize 30 people? And I went back to my physical education days from Plymouth State. If you could corral kindergartners, you could do anything. <laughs> and I mean that 100%. You really could organize anything. Oh, my God. So, and then your first full-time paying gig is down here at FIU? It was. Yes, sir. Look, they always talk about South Florida athletes, South Florida football players. You encountered them at FIU. What struck you? What struck me was how absolutely fast they were. Couldn't believe it. At a brick township back in Jersey, they weren't that fast. No, not so much. They were, you know, it was a, <laughs> it was a Delaware wing tee. It was more like four yards in a cloud of dust. That's kind of how we rolled up in the Northeast. Not down here, my friend. Not down here. No. And, and it was very apparent to me that up north, it's a big lifting culture because there's something that nobody down here realizes. It's called winter. Right. And you know, when it's snowing, you can't go anywhere. You're just stuck indoors. So people up north, what they do is they just pound weights for hours on hours on hours. And down here, I never heard of so much football being played in a seven on seven fashion or anything year round. Like I heard when I got here, I was shocked. You heard stories, but until you were actually there. nah. So this is interesting. So how do you balance what you took from your mentors about squat and clean and, and bench and all that stuff? with managing and incorporating speed? You know, there's really no book on it. That's the funny thing. And, and one of those coaches, Al Vermeil, he's one of the gentlemen that, that you want to say perfected it, but he, he's, he, that's, uh, that's Dick Vermeil's brother. That's the only Vermeil I know. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, there are very few people that can make, it is a true art form of how do you get them stronger, how do you get them faster, and how do you create a great base of stamina and do all three of those very well. Now you're serving many masters doing that. And I saw it under John Greco at UNLV. Then I learned other qualities from Roderick Moore. He's now the director of sports science at the Atlanta Falcons. He's one of the smartest people in this entire profession. And when you start working for quality, quality people, great coaches, great coaches, you get to see how do they move their brush? How do they paint it? How do they do it? How do you splice these worlds together? Because you can sit there, you can run people on a track. You can get all the data you want. You can lift them in the weight room. You can, you can take biopsies and you, know, you can read meters per seconds on a Tendo unit and you know, velocity-based this and that and whatever. But how do you make the two live together? And I had two amazing bosses to help show me that. Who's the other boss? Roderick Moore? Roderick Moore. Yes, sir. Where? At FIU. At FIU. Mm -hmm. He was the strength coach. He was. Yep. Under Mario, correct? Yes. Look, and you guys had, a, had success. A lot of success there. It was, uh, there was a whole lot of nothing and got it. Um, I, had, I had left right after we won the, the Little Caesars Bowl. So it was, their, it was their first winning season. It was their first championship and uh, winning the Sun Belt. And it was their first bowl championship. Pretty cool.
So this is the thing I always love asking everybody. I have asked it to, to Manny when he's become a, either coordinate, when you're running a room, running a program, Brett Lashley, you know, I think where your philosophies really get tested, solidified and shaped is you, be, you become the head man at, at Ball State right after FIU. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now it's your weight room. You run the weight room. It's your show. You're in charge. And I always ask people, everyone thinks they're ready. But when you actually get there, are you ready? Because you're going to encounter things you've never encountered before. So what did you learn on the job? You learn what you didn't know. You really do. You can be the best assistant of anything in the history of assistants, but until you understand what it's like to sit in a director's chair, you don't understand the amount of information that affects players. Just in my world, you don't understand how much information runs through your chair at all. You have no concept of it at all. And all my bosses said, listen, the chair is different. I'm telling you when you get there, it's just different. What crosses your plate that someone wouldn't think about that crosses your plate that they're like, whoa, he deals with that too? Whether it's academics, whether two players are, you know, they maybe gotten a, a scuffle and you got to realize when they get in the weight room, is there going to be a challenge or not? Training room wise, is a guy hurt? Are the doctors involved? How hurt is somebody? What's wrong with the player's parents? Did he have a friend that died? Did he just get chewed out? by his position coach because he did something wrong. Little things like that. Because when they walk in front of you, you're trying to get a response out of them to get them as strong as possible. And you're poking the bear every day. And if you don't have all your information on what's going on with every player as much as you can get, you can read a situation wrong. And if you read a situation wrong, you know, like in anything else, you can incite a riot. It's kind of a rough statement, but you can do that. You can kill the entire culture if you don't understand what's going on with the group of people in front of you. You could, you could ruin it. So you better know what's going on with your people in every facet that you can figure out at every minute of every day. You've got to know that. And if you don't, you will not make it because this job is about people. You are coaching people. You ain't coaching weights. You're coaching people. And when I got there and I knew that I didn't know anybody, I didn't know one person in the whole state of Indiana, <laughs> I would get to work at 4.30 and I wouldn't leave until 10 at night for the first two weeks. I even got pulled over because they thought I robbed the place because of how late I was leaving one night. Terrell Smith, he he pulled me over. <laughs> He's a police officer. He played football at Ball State. He calls me to this day. Be like, hey, you better watch it. I'm going to pull you over. Now, you were putting in that many hours. Why? Because you just to interact with that many people? As many minutes that I could spend with players and coaches and then figure out the right kind of plan per person, especially guys that are coming off surgeries from the previous season I wasn't there for, and just making sure that logistically every person had a plan I knew where they were going. I knew what each player could do and could not do. Because if you got a guy with a bad ACL across the room and another guy to your immediate left with the same problem, now I've got two problems in two different areas. Once you put them on the same rack so you can keep them close to you so you can keep a better eye on them. Little things like that. 
It's the simple little tasks or the simple little assignments. If you don't cover those, it's the little things that'll get you killed. If you don't cover those, you will fail. And if you fail in that role and they see you as a leader and you did not prepare for that, I'll tell them I'm not going to be perfect. I won't make the same mistake twice. But if you're unprepared for them, they will lose faith in you. It is completely intangible and it's extremely delicate. If those players lose faith in me and what I'm doing, I need to go find another job fast because they will not work for you. You need to get every drop out of them every day. And they know that. And if they respect you, they will do it. But if you lose it, you will never get it back ever. That's what I learned. You said fail, get up, learn. So at Ball State, do you have a failure at some point along the way? It's not always perfect. So do you have things that you hang on to that you know so it doesn't happen again? Oh, sure. Yeah, the, the, the first week I put so much into the program for us to do. And, you know, like any strength coach, you're going to say, oh, man, we need to get bigger and stronger, this, this, and that. You, you, you know, you put in nine things to get done in, in the hour and 15 minutes, and they don't know how to do one of them your way. They don't. Anytime you take over a program, you have to assume it's a new person. They've never done anything you've ever wanted them to do, even walk. You've got to take them through everything step by step. And I learned that right away, right away. And it was funny because I was at the combine and uh, I was sitting next to a strength coach who's still in the league. And, and he's been always good to me over the years. Dave, man, hey, I'm so proud of you, man. This is good. I've been following you for a little while. Congratulations. Listen, man, just, I, you know, I don't want to tell you what to do, but just keep it simple. Keep it simple <laughs> at the start and this and that. And I look at him and I'm like, you know what? You're, uh, you're right. Thanks a lot. Wish I met you a month and a half ago or saw you a month and a half ago, but I probably wouldn't have listened anyway. I needed to go through it. And then how much of everything you talked about before, and I keep going back to this because you're so passionate about it, about what you believe in and when it comes to weight training, was it all solidified at Ball State? When we had started working out, you know, we, we've gone through off-season programs and whatnot. It was my fourth year there. I was there for five years, five great years. And um, it was my fourth year there. And I had flown Johnny Parker in. He was up for the, uh, up for the ride and flew him in. And, 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 you know, when you're at a group of five level, sometimes if you, and I've, I've really had not been in a power five, I had no idea what that even really looked like. And he flew in and, and you're, you're, you're talking about a guy that was the head strength coach at Old Miss at Indiana for Bobby Knight and Lee Corsa and LSU. And then the New York Giants, the Patriots, the Niners, the Buccaneers, you know, the guys won three Super Bowls. He's seen a lot of dudes. And he comes in and he says, he said, coach, this was, he was there for three days. This was the second day. He goes, coach, your boys snatch squat and clean better than all the players I ever saw at this other school. And he named the school and I'm not going to name it. And they have over 15 strength coaches on the floor. And you've got a GA. That's all you got. How did you do this? And listen, I, I was kind of insulted at first. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, listen, don't, don't, don't do that on your trip here. I don't need to be, you know, I, I, you know, you don't need to say all that. Like they, our boys, they work really hard and this, this, and that. 
And said, coach, I'm, I'm very serious. How did they do that? Right? And I said, listen, the, these are some of the best people you could ever ask to coach. They, 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 they go hard and this and that. And, and he goes, coach, I, I, he goes, look at their backs while they're running. They look like a bunch of Panama canals going down their backs. You know, that, that, was, that was the term he used. And, you know, he, he left, he went, he went back to, uh, to Tampa, Florida, where he, where he still lives today. And he said, coach, I had a great time. Thank you so much. And I'd like to come back one day in the winter. I said, coach, listen, we, we really can't afford to, you know, bring you back here. They're not going to let, you know, they're not going to do that. Coach, I'll, I'll pay my own way, but I'm going to bring somebody with me. And then he brought that gentleman, Rob Panarillo, with him. And after that, the conversation started getting uh, very intense. And, you know, I started to believe, wow, I, I, I think these guys are pretty good. I think we've got a really good thing going here. And they would always ask, well, coach, how many injuries do you have every year? I said, I don't, I don't know, not, not too many, like a couple. Well, coach, how many guys are out because of a hamstring? I said, I don't know. I had one in 2012. I had one in 14. And that was really it. And, you know, we, and, and then he goes, what do you mean, two? I said, yeah, I, I don't know what really happened. And I didn't really think too much of it. And he's like, coach, you know, that's really good, right? <laughs> People pay a lot of money for you to say that to them. I said, yeah, I don't, I don't know, coach. It's just our guys, they're, they're always in pretty good shape and nobody really misses games because of it. It's, it, you know, they, they, they train hard all summer. We're, we're, they're here for nine weeks, 10 weeks training hard. I mean, that's, that's just, you know, they come accustomed to it and they build up a good resilience. And once he started coming into the picture and he, you know, he flew in, then he flew in the next winter in 15. That's when my confidence as a coach really started, really started to go up. It really, really did. All right. So let me ask you this then. And I don't know how, I don't know the details of how it, how it ends or why it ends. Right. But you go from that running ball state, you said for four or five years, and then you go to South Carolina as an assistant strength and conditioning coach, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. So a, why, what happened? What was it a, ch a change of staff at ball state? I imagine that would be the case. And then for you, right. You're running your program. You just talked about getting all this confidence and now you're not running a program. And at that time, you probably don't know for how long you're not running a program. So what'd you learn taking a step back and was it good for you? Going from a, like a director role to an assistant role was very humbling. And it was harder than I ever thought it could ever be. But I, I need a purpose. That, that's just me. I need a goal to get. And my goal was to make sure that nothing ever crossed my boss's desk. I think the greatest gift I could give to that program was I understood what he was going through. So I knew what to take off of his plate. And we had a much bigger staff at South Carolina. I mean, shoot, we had 20 interns and four, five full-time guys, including the head guy. So in a way, I knew what he needed to get done during the daily base, because really it's, it's all about the athletic training staff and the head football coach. And I knew once he was in those meetings that if I didn't get X, Y, and Z done, that would be bad for a lot of people, including players. So that was great. And then two, it's, hey, I got this idea of that. He has his vision. You're backing up his vision. And then after watching the players at South Carolina, watching how they move, coaching them, and, and, and my boss, Jeff uh, Dillman, would let me coach. He, he, he wanted you know, certain things done, but he let me coach the way I was able to coach. We've known each other for a while. And I said to myself, right then and there, it, it was about three weeks in, I said, golly, I could do this anywhere. I could do what I did at Ball State 
anywhere. And that's when it hit me. And that was my kind of missing piece, right? You don't know you can hit a home run until you hit it. And if you hit it one stadium, you go hit it in another, you can hit it anywhere. Done. And I knew right then and there in about week three, I could do this anywhere. And that's when I knew I was ready for any job in the country at any level. What was the appeal at Temple? Close to home, I guess. Oh, yeah. Oh, shoot, an hour. I mean, you can't make that up. And Coach Collins and I had worked together at FIU. And he was gracious enough to call me. Crazy how that all works. It's insane. And, and I'll tell you what, I got to see friends and family. Because when, when you're in this business now, it's, it's different. It's very different. You got to see friends and family. So real quick, when you're in this business, so can you just tell someone, what's your schedule tomorrow? Like, what time are you up? What time are you at the school? Just so people understand it. Because who was I talking to? We were, we were having this exact same conversation. When people hear, oh, it was Dan Morgan, right? Oh, I, he, he works hard. Well, what, what does that mean, he works hard? Oh, I was with Greg Schiano at 6 a.m. as a student going through plays and film. Like, no, no, no. A lot of people think they work hard. Uh, well, I'll be up at 3.15 in the morning, get my cup of coffee, get my banana, get in the car. I'll be in the car at about 3.35, 3.40 in the morning. Get in work about 10 after four, quarter after four. As soon as I get to my desk, you got to make sure everything's on point for your staff when they walk in. So make sure they have all their warm up sheets. Make sure that the warm up is buttoned up at the end of the day. Of course, you got to check X, Y, and Z in the IPF and in the weight room. Is everything lined up? Did anything change? Did, did it, another team go in there? Did they move something or not? You got to make sure the whiteboard is on point for when the team gets in front of it and you go over the logistics for the day and the workout for the day. The first guy usually walks in the door at 10 after five. And as a strength staff, we are done. We are done by five o'clock setting everything up because the first thing it is customer service. The first person that walks in that door is the most important because you want them to feel welcome. They know what the workout's going to be, but you want them to want to come in. And if it's a negative atmosphere or you don't have time because you're setting something up, then you're a bum of a coach. Can't do that. A bum. And listen, our guys, they're awesome. They are awesome to work with every day. So you better get your ass up and you better make sure that everything's set up. For as soon as they walk in, they get your attention because they're not coming here to play football. They're coming here to win a championship. That is why they're coming here. That's what that logo represents. That may sound kind of dramatic, but that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. So they're all rolling through the door from five after five, 10 after five. Once 540 hits, we hit the whistle, everybody out. They've got to leave. They go to the IPF, the indoor facility, and they're waiting for their warm-up to start. I don't like anything. You know, we're not going to, oh, one more minute, and then they've got to tie their shoes late. No, because as soon as that clock hits 545, it's on like Donkey Kong. And then we have consecutive groups all the way through from 5.45, ending at 12. As soon as that's over, you debrief with the strength staff on what happened throughout the day. You got to go over the injury report with Jeff Ruiz and Vinny Scavo. Then you got to plan for the next week and the next workout. Now you're probably looking at about two o'clock once you're done meeting with them, going over player by player, because they've got to see them, assess them, and tell you how they are. You know, Oh, my back is sore. My hamstring is sore. My quad is sore, whatever. But you got to know those things. Then it's, all right, well, how do we plan for them? That's just a little planning. 
then what do we have down the road? Oh, I've got Zoom meetings. I've got, you know, you got recruiting. You've got to have this presentation ready for this athlete because he's a running back or a lineman or whatever. And that's coming. Oh, we got pancakes tomorrow. What are we doing for that? We're buttoned up for this, 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 and this. Okay, great. How is the catapult report? You got to dissect that, which is your GPS system. How fast did we run today? What was their player load? Which means how hard did they work? It's actually tangible. Are we building up enough tolerance to the first spring practice? If not, how do we work backwards from there day to day? And if we don't have a very good timeline for that, players will suffer, they will get hurt, and they will lose faith. And that's not going to happen. And usually at about six o'clock, I'll leave work. And then I'll come home. And maybe tape a podcast. Yeah, why not? I mean, I mean, this is, this is great. I mean, you literally owe me a leg workout for this, and I'm going to collect. No, you no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, – yeah, all right. We'll do it. Yes, yes. All right. Well, look, we're, we're going to end with that. Literally, we could probably, I could do this with you for hours, but it's late, and you have to get up, as you just said, at 3-whatever in the morning, and I won't be getting up at that time. And if anyone wanted to go behind the you and learn about you – David Feely, I, I think we've done a good job. You have done a good job of that here today. I'm grateful for the opportunity, Josh. I really, I really, really am. I can't, I can't thank you enough. And, and you know, I, if I could end this one way, I really wish that everybody in America could walk through a sports locker room and realize the amount of love and the amount of camaraderie that occurs from people with all different kinds of backgrounds. That's the best part of my job life experience is walking through that locker room and seeing all types of people get along and laugh. And a player told me this one time. He said, y'all are my brothers. You're going to be there at my wedding and you're going to be there at my funeral. And I love you. Let's go get it. And it was a big workout that day. I'm not going to say who it is or when it was, but I'll never forget it as long as I live. And I hope we get to that point one day with everybody. I'm with you 100%. And um, I have a ton of respect for you. And I always enjoy talking to you. And as much as I think I knew you, I've learned and been, and been inspired by what you said here today. And I hope people, I'm sure people will enjoy this because I know we've got a passionate fan base getting behind this thing. So, dude, thank you. You're the best. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much.